Happy Thanksgiving and welcome in to the 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, hoping wherever you're traveling, whoever you're spending your Thanksgiving with, it's a wonderful one. And I'm hoping that it's a wonderful one, not just because you're going to gorge yourself and maybe dive into some gluttony, but because the San Francisco 49ers take on the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle for the first time since, I believe, 2013. Uh, We know how that game ended for the Niners. Uh, It ended with Seattle eating turkey at our own 50-yard line. Hopefully, we can avenge and get some revenge this Thursday, tomorrow, in 2023, on Thanksgiving, when the San Francisco 49ers go up to Seattle to hopefully get a W and remain undefeated in the NFC West. Uh, San Francisco comes in 7-3 on the year. Again, 3-0 in the NFC West, having beaten, or excuse me, 2-0 in the NFC West, having beaten the Rams and the Cardinals earlier this year. They're coming off a 27-14 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just one week ago, just, what, four days ago this past Sunday, are currently on a two-game win streak, hold a one-game advantage over the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC West, and are coming off a season where they beat the Seattle Seahawks not one, not two, but three times in the same calendar year. This is a massive stretch for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, We've talked about this for a long, long time since the schedule dropped all the way back in, what was that, June, July, maybe even before that, where we have this stretch where it's Thursday night in Seattle, then in Philadelphia, then back home against Seattle. So a massive three-game stretch for the San Francisco 49ers. And this kind of is, in a weird way, a chance for San Francisco to almost wrap up the NFC West if they do indeed beat Seattle on Thursday being tomorrow night and then beat them again in two weeks uh, they would push the Seahawks to one and four in the division uh, and potentially tank their playoffs as a whole which is just insane um When you know Seattle has already been swept by the Rams this year, if San Francisco can sweep Seattle as well, uh, you would almost pretty much damn the Seahawks to uh, either a wild card or maybe even out of the playoffs as a whole. And I think if you're the Niners, uh, you you have a chance to do that. Uh, You want to take it and you want to take a massive swing to hopefully knock off your biggest NFC rival out of the playoffs as a whole. Uh, The Niners enter a time of the year where they have just been pretty much almost unbeatable since 2021, 18-3 in November, December, and January during regular season games, and they've won nine games in a row against the NFC West, so a massive game for San Francisco, a massive stretch for the Niners coming into Thursday against Seattle, and coming into a time where they have been their most successful the past three seasons. The Seattle Seahawks, on the other hand, they are 6-4 on the year. They're 1-2 in the NFC West. Just lost last week, 17-16 versus the LA Rams. They're 1-2 in their past three games. And over that span, they've been outscored 80, yes, 80 
248. Um, amongst the, I guess you want to call them legit, serious playoff contenders, uh, I could argue the Seattle Seahawks might be the most inconsistent of them all. Uh, I don't want to say they're unserious because they have Pete Carroll leading the charge as their head coach, but this team really doesn't have an identity despite being a good 6-4 and four on the season. Uh, one week they can run the football. The next week there is no running game. One week Geno Smith's having a good game. The next week he's just back to being who Geno Smith is, which is a fine quarterback. Uh, one week the defense is strong. Two of the next three games, they're just really disjointed and don't look like the Seattle Seahawks we've known them to be the past, what, decade plus since Pete Carroll's been there in Seattle. Uh, and like I said with San Francisco, they could tank the Seahawks' playoff hopes in the next three games. This is a massive stretch for Seattle as well. They're hosting Niners tomorrow on Thursday Night Football. Then they're on the road in Dallas, on the road back here in Santa Clara in the Bay Area. Then they're at home against Philadelphia. Uh, so a massive stretch for San Francisco to tank the Seahawks' playoff chances, or at least their hopes and odds for the NFC West crown. But also, the Seahawks have to play well, and they can easily lose... Uh, almost, if not all, of the next four games. Now, if you're San Francisco, you hope they beat the Cowboys, and you hope they especially beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and knowing the Seattle Seahawks, they probably will. <laughs> they just have that kind of weird luck and weird feeling to them. But if the Seahawks go 0-4, they could be 6-8, and uh, staring down the barrel of missing the playoffs in the next month or so. So like San Francisco, big stretch for them. Seattle Seahawks, the same big stretch, if not a tougher big stretch of the year coming up for them. But we all know NFC West divisional games are just different. It seems like every year, it doesn't matter how bad San Francisco is, how bad the Rams might be, how good the Rams might be, how bad the Cardinals might be, how good the Cardinals might be, and always how good Seattle or how bad Seattle might be. Uh, divisional games are just different different. I always say how many times during the Harbaugh era when the Cardinals were just piss poor and awful, did they somehow find a way to fight us to the end of a game? Uh, even a couple years ago, 2021, the Seahawks were not very good. What did they do? They nearly played spoiler to our entire season on the road in Seattle a few years back uh, and just almost wrecked our entire playoff chances as well. So uh, divisional games are tough. Um, Last year, San Francisco didn't make it look that way, having beat Seattle three times in the same year and having swept the entire NFC West. Uh, but again, uh, you get yourself into a divisional dogfight and you give Seattle a chance to, to stay in the game or win, they are going to take the odds and they're going to fight you until the finish. Uh, so let's dive into this game and let's take a look at the Seattle Seahawks offense and how the San Francisco 49ers defense can stop them now. I want to make something very clear here. Uh, the Niners defense has been riding extremely high. Uh, took it to Jacksonville two weeks ago and seemingly found their footing again off the bye week. And the same thing happened against the Jacksonville Jaguars, getting two takeaways, a handful of sacks, and once again proving to be or proving to show why they are or should be upper echelon uh, defense in the entire league. Uh, we're hoping that carries over against the Seattle Seahawks offense, and I truly do believe 
And like I said earlier, of the legit serious playoff contenders, uh, the Seattle Seahawks might be the most inconsistent. And, and here's why. In all, in all of the Seattle Seahawks' six wins this season, they've rushed for over 100-plus yards. In all of their four losses, they've rushed, they've rushed excuse me, for under 100 yards. Now keep in mind, the Seahawks enter tomorrow night's game against the Niners without their leading rusher, Kenneth Walker, who I believe is like 11th, maybe 9th in rushing across the entire league this year. They're on a short week facing a Niners defense that has, again, picked things up as of recent and only allowed three 100-plus yard rushers this year. And over the last two weeks, where it seems like they've refound themselves and rekindled the magic of the past couple years, they've only given up an average of 62.5 rush yards the past two weeks. So Seattle's bread and butter of running the football, using play action, allowing the offense not to be reliant on Geno Smith, that all seems to be out the window tomorrow night against San Francisco. And if you're San Francisco, you're sitting there saying, great, we're facing a Seattle Seahawks team, which is now almost as close as to one dimensional as you can get. But then you also add in the wrinkle that Geno Smith himself is also injured. Now, all signs are pointing to him playing tomorrow night. Uh, but if he can't, we will see Drew Locke, which if you're San Francisco, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, mind you. But if you can see Drew Locke, uh, you want to see Drew Locke. Uh, that being said... Uh, Geno Smith has a strained tricep and elbow soreness, uh, almost had a disaster strike against the Rams last week where him and Aaron Donald came together almost similar to Redick and Purdy in the playoffs where that elbow snapped forward and thankfully it wasn't too serious, but uh, there was he had to come out of the game for a couple plays and it may have actually changed the trajectory of that game for the Seahawks. So we're not sure exactly how healthy Geno Smith is is, but it is certainly something to look out for, knowing that Kenneth Walker is not going to play uh, in this game. But diving into Geno Smith's play a little more here, uh, Geno Smith last year surprised the entire NFL. Uh, the Athletic had him ranked as the only D-tiered quarterback coming into last year. Obviously, again, surprised everybody. Um, just took the world by storm. And all respect to what Geno Smith has done post-Russell Wilson uh, in Seattle. He deserves a ton of respect. Uh, I like Geno as a person. Uh, that being said, this year has not been as successful for what it feels like uh, this 10-year veteran quarterback in the NFL with the Jets, Giants, and now the Seahawks. Um, he is turning the ball over at a much higher rate than previous years. Uh, last year, he had 30 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. This year, only 12 touchdowns through the air and already seven interceptions this season. Um, you can tell that when things get tough and they don't have a 100-yard rusher, Geno has to throw the ball more. Uh, they become more reliant on him, and when that happens, things go awry. Uh, dare I say a little bit like Jimmy Garoppolo in the past few years in San Francisco, where... You like them as a quarterback, you respect them, uh, and you're glad to have them there because they add some stability to the offense, and you get a handful of wins with them, maybe make playoffs with them, but uh, you don't really trust them when 
you know, everything's going you know haywire and there's chaos around them. Uh, this year, Geno Smith only ranks 16th in explosive explosive pass plays, so you're not going to see a lot of uh, you know passes 30, 40 yards downfield. That's just not their bread and butter. Um, they also rank 16th in first down percentage. Basically, which I think we all expected this offense to be this year, rather mediocre. This team doesn't score a lot of points. They don't stay on the field very often, and they aren't explosive. They're a rather just vanilla, mediocre, uh, average offense when it's when it comes to scoring, putting up points, and being explosive. They rank 18th in touchdown percentage. Again, going back to being average throughout the year. But here's the kicker: um, when and if San Francisco can stop. The Seahawks rushing offense, which again, no Kenneth Walker, your job should be a little easier. Uh, even if it is Zach Charbonnet or DJ Dallas, your job should be a lot easier knowing uh, Kenneth Walker is not playing. If they can keep Seattle in these third and sixes, these third and eights, and force Geno, who again is already hurt, to beat them with his arm, uh, Geno Smith and the Seahawks passing offense ranks 28th on third downs. So they can't extend drives. They're not scoring points. Uh, they aren't explosive. Again, this team is a, we're going to gut you out until the end. It's going to be a one-score game. This team barely beat the Commanders. They barely beat the Lions, who are a good team, mind you, but they're playing in so many tight games. Um, they got blown out against the Ravens a couple weeks ago, and the past few weeks, they kind of look like a team on the downward trend, rather than upward, where San Francisco is starting to pick things up. Um, Seattle might be, again, on the way down. Uh, but again, divisional game, they're always crazy. Sometimes you just don't know how these things are going to go. You can read all the stats in the world you want to, but once you get into the game, uh, that's when you can throw the stats out the window, tear the papers up, shut them apart, and say, look, this is NFC West divisional football. None of that matters. I, I'm going to recognize that right here, right now. But um, the Seattle Seahawks just don't really give much to offer on offense, knowing that Geno Schwartz and his, when he's been healthy, is very, very limited this year, and it hasn't played as precise, hasn't been as consistent as he was last season. But going in further... <laughs> The Seahawks' offensive line, when you pair that with no Kenneth Walker, a limited Geno Smith, uh, it only continues to spell doom for the Seattle Seahawks' offense. So keep in mind that the Seahawks rank 24th in pass protection. Now, that's only one spot worse than San Francisco does, and we'll get to how bad their offensive line play when it comes to pass protection has been this year a little later, but uh, focusing on the Niners' defense against uh, the Seahawks up front, when you rank 24th in pass protection and you're facing a Niners team that is coming off of two games of nine total sacks and six total takeaways against a top 10, yes, top 10 offensive line in pass pro in the Bucks and the number 17th ranked O-line in pass protection and the Jaguars, knowing they're facing an offensive line that ranks 24th, that is playing what seems to be starting a 41-year-old right tackle in Jason Peters, um, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Clellan Farrell, Randy Gregory, hello. <laughs> um, if this is a game to wreak havoc on, 
a injured Geno Smith, a, a lackluster run game in Seattle, and again, going back to Seattle's 28th ranked th uh, third down percentage via the passing game, uh, you should be able to have Seattle in the palm of your hand every single drive. Um, this does feel like a game where like I said against the Buccaneers, if Jaguars was the get-right game, the Bucks are the stay-right game, uh, this game might be the you-stay-right-and-get-better game for the San Francisco 49ers D-line. Uh, they'll be wearing the all-whites on Thanksgiving night, so they're going to have the fresh and clean uh, throwback unis, the ones they wore when they clinched the division last year in Seattle. Uh, so I'm going to assume, like George Kittle said himself, that uh, there'll be plenty of Pumpkin loaf being passed around, but also um, this team likes to get up. This defense likes to get up for these games, as does Seattle, mind you. But um, San Francisco has had some pretty good juju uh, in Seattle the past few years. One in 2019, massive Drake Green loss stop. We all talk about it nonstop. Uh, it lives in my dreams every single night. And again, last year, Brock Purdy, Jordan Mason and company with Christian McCaffrey dicing up the Seattle defense to another NFC West division title last year. Now, I would assume San Francisco's defense is saying, hey, we have a really, really good chance to continue our impressive stretch, get a couple more sacks on the season, and again, continue to just beat apart uh, the Seattle Seahawks offense. We have a prediction here already by the Smitty, 26-13 Niners. I'll get to my predictions later, but I like where your head's at, Smitty. I will just go out and say now that the San Francisco 49ers should win this game, and you have 13 points in point differential. I might even put that a little higher, but I'll just factor in the, the thing that this is a divisional game and those things tend to be closer than we'd all like them to be. Going to maybe how the Seahawks offense might change this Thursday night on Thanksgiving. Um, again, said it plenty of times now, no Kenneth Walker. That means Zach Charbonnet, rookie out of UCLA, is going to be their RB1, and if it's not him... We might see a, a massive you know, 10-15 carries by DJ Dallas, who we've seen a handful of times uh, since he's been there in Seattle. Um, this does feel like a screen game, quick passing game. Uh, they don't want to get Geno Smith hurt, knowing how bad the offensive line's been, knowing how bad or how injured Geno Smith's elbow might be. This feels like a low running game, a much more screen pass, quick game heavy um, game for the Seahawks offense. Thankfully, despite uh, the screen pass being an issue for San Francisco at times against Jacksonville and at times against the Buccaneers last week where Rashad White caught six passes uh, on the screen game, here's the kicker. Uh, he only had him for 28 yards. Now, 28 yards could be a, a drive extending screen pass, mind you, but uh, San Francisco also missed a five-week low of four tackles. This team is tackling once again. They're being aggressive. Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw have been much, much more better at securing tackles. Um, the secondary has been much improved in that area as well. And with Seattle not having Kenneth Walker, not likely being able to run the ball against this Niners defensive line, um, if you're going to play the screen game, uh, my odds would be in San Francisco's favor to continue their impressive streak of actually not missing tackles and stopping 
uh, Zach Charbonnet and company in the quick and screen game. Um, I also think that the Seahawks are not going to want to have Geno Smith drop back, you know, 45 times in this game, 30 times in this game. They're also not going to want to have him do five in seven foot drops or seven step drops. They do not want to give Nick Bosa, Hargrave, Armstead, and Chase Young any time to get to the quarterback, hence why the screen game, the quick passing game, which again continues to limit just how much Seattle can push the ball down the field. And let's be honest here, we have no idea the status of Geno Smith's elbow. Can he throw the ball 40 yards downfield still? We have no idea. We will see it tomorrow night, but there's going to be a, a feeling out process when it comes to what we see as fans and how this Niners defense can see things um, because we just do not know exactly how hurt or healthy Geno Smith is. If he is, let's say, closer to 100% than not, um, Seattle has one of the best, on paper at least, collectives of offensive weaponry. They have tight ends Noah Font and Will Disley. Uh, they also have receivers DK Metcalf, who's just a freaking beast. Um, Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith in Jigba, I believe their first round pick this year. Um, focusing on DK Metcalf, uh, 40 catches for almost 700 yards this year, 646 to be exact, and three touchdowns. Um, I will just say this, this is going to be the first time that San Francisco is not going to have Jimmy Ward lined up across DK Metcalf in what seems like a decade, and I am going to miss their battles. Um, how many times did we see DK and Jimmy Ward, whether it was throwing hands or just pushing and shoving and being physical and taking shots left and right? Um, I'm going to miss that physicality. Uh, when it comes to just this aggressive rivalry these two teams have. Um, this is also a a rivalry that where you, when, when you have a veteran player like Jimmy Ward, he can frustrate a DK Metcalf, where now you have Jair Brown, Tayshawn Gibson. Um, I don't know who's going to be quote-unquote following uh, DK Metcalf. It could be Mooney Ward. That would be my pick. But uh, on the odd chance it is Ambry Thomas... Uh, Ambry Thomas is not a physical, you know, talkative defensive back. He's not going to get in DK Metcalf's head. And if Geno Smith, again, is near or closer to 100%, they may not hit on these go balls, again, being one of the 18th most explosive offenses in football, but they are going to at least try to test this Niner secondary, knowing that they don't have Talanoa Hufunga over the top, knowing they have Jair Brown back there now likely starting in his absence, knowing he's out for the entire year. And again, knowing you have Ambry Thomas, who has played good the past two weeks, but um, those are of the defense. Those are players you're going to test early and just want to see what they're made of. And I, I wouldn't doubt if Geno Smith is, again, closer to 100%, they throw a three or four deep balls DK Metcalf's way. He's kind of a one-dimensional player. I like DK a lot. He does that one thing really well, but he kind of is that deep ball guy where he's a big body. He'll go up and get it. Um, he'll play physical, and he's extremely fast, but that's kind of all he does. That being said, if you're playing against the likes of Ambry Thomas and let's say a rookie Jair Brown who, you know, there might be times where he gets caught in between like he did against the Buccaneers on his first play back out there for a 41-yard catch. That 
things could go awry and the Seahawks could make a massive splash play putting San Francisco's defense on their heels or maybe find an area where they can maybe exploit the San Francisco Niners defense. Um, that's one area they can easily get that done if Jair Brown and Amy Thomas don't play, you know, up to par in this game. But it doesn't stop there. Tyler Lockett, again, Tyler Lockett's been, like Kyle Shanahan said, maybe one of the best receivers in the entire league for like a decade or eight years now. He's just been Mr. Consistency. Um, on a team that's had Doug Baldwin and Golden Tate, uh, Lockett may be the best of those three, which those three guys were extremely successful in the NFL for a long time. Lockett's just been awesome. Um, even this year, again, Mr. Consistency, just being there, doing what he knows how to do, being a strong uh, nickel slot receiver, just doing what he can to get guys open and continually finds himself getting open as well. Um, Lockett this year leads the team in catches 51, um, is second on the team with 545 yards through the air, and I believe leads the team in touchdown catches at four. So um, a massive test for Diamador Lenore in the slot in this game. Um, he is going to be and will always be one of the more shifty veteran players. And now he compared the his athleticism where he's fast, he's quick, he's shifty with um, the knowledge of playing a decade plus in football. He's a great receiver, a massive test where even if you can somehow stop DK Metcalf, you're going to have your hands full with Tyler Lockett in the slot where I think it's over two seasons, but Nor has yet to give up a touchdown pass and over like 1,100 coverage snaps. Wildly impressive. Um, but if this is a game where you're going to give up a TD to, to lock it, uh, I, I would not be surprised if that streak ends this Thursday. That being said, uh, Lenore has been really good in the nickel this year uh, and really strong. So a massive test, massive test, excuse me, in the matchup I have my eyes on. Then you have this kind of weird matchup because the Seahawks are going to line up Metcalf and Lockett outside on certain plays and in the middle with Lenore you're likely going to have Jackson Smith and Jigba who has 36 catches for 365 yards and two touchdowns this year um they like to have the defense and safeties keep Metcalf and Lockett honest and that is where Smith and Jigba comes into play because he's shifty, he's quick, he's a great route runner. We saw it at Ohio State with Wilson and Olave uh, and very similar things they like to do offensively in Seattle when it comes to getting Smith and Jigba the ball over the middle. Whether it's Lenore, uh, I hope to God it isn't Oliver, uh, but knowing that this Niners secondary has Mooney Ward playing better football, uh, he'll be on the outside obviously, but it'll be interesting to see how San Francisco uh, decides to defend their three receiver sets with essentially two slot receivers on the field at the exact same time. Because Smith and Jigba, whether you want to give them the credit or not, uh, he can dice up a defense. Uh, you just have to hope Gino can get it to him. Thankfully, San Francisco has uh, some of the smartest and well-rounded over-the-middle defenders, Warner, Greenlaw, Deshaun Gibson. Uh, but this could be another area where Jair Brown, Lenore, and Thomas is maybe, I don't want to say an experience, but knowing Jair Brown's rookie in his first NFL career start, uh, maybe there are downs where George Odom sneaks in there to help aid uh, a young secondary. Because, again... 
Seattle's offense doesn't scare me, but the pieces are there to at least put up a fight against a good Niners defense that is surging. And again, uh, we're going to see them target Lenore and Thomas and Jair Brown. Massive tests for them. Massive games for Warner and Greenlock to, to tighten up and lock down the middle of the field. Uh, they've done it almost every single time they've played Seattle in their time here in San Francisco. So um, the odds, I think, are in San Francisco's favor. But certainly if things, you know, get tight towards the end or Seattle is staying in the ballgame, which I would expect them to do at least early, uh, I think we know why that's going to happen. Let's now move to how San Francisco's offense can exploit and slice through this Seattle Seahawks defense. Before we do, though, I want to remind you to follow us on social media. Don't forget to leave a like, share, and subscribe on the podcast, and use our promo code 49ersaccess, 49ersaccess at seatgeek.com for $20 off your first purchase. Uh, And the Smitty comments here again saying, I have to change my score. It was 26-13. It was a typo. He says 28-13 San Francisco over the Seattle Seahawks. I like what you're thinking. Close to what I'm thinking as well. Uh, But okay. The Niners offense has a massive, massive chance to completely expose a really disjointed Seattle Seahawks defense. And... When I talked about Seattle being one of the more inconsistent contenders, it really has to do with the defensive side of things. Um, The last last season, San Francisco outscored Seattle 89 to 43. And that last game in the playoffs felt just get guys in space and let them cook. Debo, Ayuk, uh, Kittle, um, even then, that score could have been so much worse. That's the big game where Purdy runs to his left, sprints to his right, through the offensive line, through the defense, and finds Ayuk in the back of the end zone, uh, and he drops it. And you're like, oh my goodness, that was maybe the greatest play of the entire year, and it doesn't even count. So this is a game where I do think San Francisco, they have the edge, and history resides in their favor. And a great thing here is that ever since San Francisco came out of the bye week, The whole conversation was, the whole talk of the town was, they have to get back to running the football. Put up over 100 yards the past two games as a team. And this game should be no different, knowing that the Seattle Seahawks rank 19th in run defense. They give up over 112 yards per game. And the last three weeks against the Rams, the Commanders, and the Ravens, They've given up 149 rushing yards per game and over one touchdown per game all year long. Um, We have the best running back in football. If you want to continue to run the ball successfully, I think playing the 19th ranked run defense, giving up basically 150 yards per game the past three weeks, um, leans heavily in Chris McCaffrey's uh, fantasy starts, fantasy stats favor, but also in San Francisco's odds to win this game. I believe they were seven and a half favorites coming in. Um, I would not be surprised if that jumps to eight or nine, because my goodness, um, this Seattle defense, for all the talk of the town, it's supposed to be better. Um, 
coming into this offseason. They had a good offseason, signing a bunch of players, Jermon Jones, uh, drafting Devin Witherspoon, uh, getting Julian Love. Uh, Jamal Adams is healthy or was healthy again coming into the year. Things have just not gone their way. And uh, when your run defense struggles as bad as they have, um, it just, when you point to and say the other team has Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Shanahan calling plays in wide zone, outside zone, um, that's a nightmare waiting to happen uh, for the Seattle Seahawks defense. And a great thing for the San Francisco offense because their offense should have a field day on the ground. Um, they did acquire Leonard Williams at the deadline, uh, but even then, um, the past two times they've had Christian McCaffrey lined up against them, uh, the Seahawks have given up 108 yards just to him alone in last year's Thursday Night Football matchup against the team, and 170 yards as a team in that same game. In the playoff game against San Francisco at Levi Stadium, 119 yards and 181 yards as a team. So when you point to at least one area offensively where San Francisco should be pretty good and shouldn't have a problem, it's on the ground because uh, I'm going to assume you get a healthy Christian McCaffrey who's been great the past couple weeks. You get a ready-to-go offensive line, which we'll get to them in a second because they could be banged up in this game, but I don't think San Francisco is going to have too much trouble uh, when it comes to having success on the ground against the Seattle Seahawks defense. Um, now, this is where things do get tricky, though, because Aaron Banks has turf toe, has missed the past two games, and John Feliciano has played well in his absence, but... Um, it's not just Aaron Banks now, which he could play. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said that he has a chance to play tomorrow night, and getting him back would be a massive help for a rather uh, injured, beaten-down offensive line of San Francisco uh, because they had to go and assign Ben Barch off the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad, which I like Ben Barch. He's a fine backup guard, practice squad player for a reason, but... There's a good chance if Aaron Banks can't play that Spencer Burford's knee, uh, which he injured against the Bucks, he may not be able to play as well. So San Francisco could have two backup guards in this game. And knowing that San Francisco's pass protection has been ranked 23rd in football, one spot ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, you have Trent Williams back. He's been great. We know how great he is. But then you add a backup left guard next to him. Then you have Jake Brendel, who's been fine this year, hasn't been himself as of last year. But then you look at that right side of the offensive line and you say McKivitz. And now it's not Burford, who actually was playing pretty well the past two weeks. But then you add in a backup off of practice squad, a right guard and Ben Barch. Uh, your mind starts to wander into the negative. And you said, could that be an issue? I think it will be if Banks or Burford cannot go. Um... I would not worry about Feliciano too much because he actually has played the past two weeks and it really hasn't been a problem. But uh, that right side of the offensive line might have a hard time when it comes to run defense and pass protection or run offense, excuse me, uh, pulling guards out, uh, getting guys to the edge. Uh, the right side of the offensive line from Brendel over uh, might have a hard time creating pockets, maintaining pockets for Purdy and could, if you're San Francisco, might limit you to just running left side almost the entirety of the game. 
uh, because you may not be able to trust Barch or McKivitz in that aspect. Um, I also think that the Seahawks have two really good run defending linebackers. Uh, Bobby Wagner's back in the fray. I believe rocking the 54 again. He's just a bona fide future Hall of Famer, uh, one of the best linebackers in football when it comes to run defense. Now, he's lost a step when it comes to pass, uh, pass coverage, and we'll get there in a second, but um, when it comes to stopping McCaffrey, Mitchell, and hopefully Jordan Mason, Kyle Shanahan, hopefully we'll see that, but um, I think Wagner and Brooks are great at uh, cleaning up things once running backs get to the second level of the defense. Uh, let's move to the pass game. Let's move to the Seahawks passing defense because I think the stats for the Seahawks defense do not tell the entire picture because they've beat some really bad teams and their stats are going to show that they have a good sack total and a good takeaway total and it just really doesn't tell the entire picture as to what the Seahawks defense actually is. So, yes, you have to give credit where it's due. Uh, Boye Mafe leads this team with seven sacks. He's not the best athlete, but when you have seven sacks, you have to be respected. Um, he is this team's best uh, 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 edge rusher. He wants to get to the quarterback. He's going to get to the quarterback. And when, again, you have McKivitz and you got maybe Ben Barch out there, um, I would assume Purdy's going to get sacked once or twice in this game, and I wouldn't be surprised if Boye Mafe is the reason for that. Um, Jerron Reed, a defensive tackle, has four sacks this year, second on Seattle's defense. Again, defensive tackle against the Ben Barches and the, and the Felicianos and the Brennels of the world. Uh, when you are a team's second leading sack getter, you're going to be able to attack the quarterback, and I wouldn't be surprised again if Purdy is sacked once or two times, maybe even three times in this game. And if you can't move the pocket, you can't create clean pockets, um, Seattle at least has the chance, the potential of players to get back there and secure sacks, but they also like to blitz cornerbacks. Um, not as much as the Giants did, not as much as the Bengals do, and not as much as the... Buccaneers would like to try to. Um, Devin Witherspoon, Devon Witherspoon, has three sacks on the the year for the Seahawks defense. I'm not too worried about that because San Francisco has really good pass protecting running backs, and again, Chris McCaffrey, the best checkdown target in the entire league. Um, so if Purdy is in trouble, you just give it to CMC and let him run wild on this Seahawks defense. But, um, again, if Banks and Burford can't play and the pocket's being moved around, that could spell trouble for Brock Purdy and company uh, in San Francisco. And, and getting into Brock Purdy here for a second, because um, coming off, named this morning, NFC West Player of the Week, uh, Val Brooks saying what's up in the comments going on Val hopefully you're having a great Thanksgiving time whether you're with family or friends if, if you're traveling please be safe and I think we're all hoping and praying we're eating pumpkin loaf tomorrow night celebrating a San Francisco 49er win over the Seattle Seahawks but what's going on Val uh, diving back into Brooke Purdy for a second coming off an NFC West Player of the Week award huge game against the Buccaneers and he's basically been perfect 
the past two weeks against the Jaguars and the Buccaneers. Six total touchdowns, a perfect passer rating last week against the Buccaneers. Just an awesome uh, two-week time span, time period for Brock Purdy. But dare I say, it might get even better. <laughs> dare I say that we could see Brock Purdy doing the ice in the veins celebration, him going down, acting like he has big balls like he was last week over the Buccaneers because the Seattle Seahawks rank 21st in pass defense. They are also ranked 26th at home. He's facing a bottom 10 pass defense in the entire league when they're at home. They've given up 12 passing first downs per game. That ranks 25th in football. Um, this Seahawks pass defense just on paper should be a lot better than it actually is, but this year has struggled so, so much. Um, and I think Brock Purdy's going to have himself another field day uh, where he's going to come out there celebrating, shooting up the ice in the veins, uh, celebrating with Trent Williams and Kittle and company because, my goodness, um, this Seattle pass defense really can't stop anybody. <laughs> like, besides the New York Giants, and we'll get into that game in a second here because it's, it certainly skews their defensive stats in a good way. But uh, Brock Purdy, who has been in the MVP conversation, uh, this should be a game where his MVP conversation or the conversation around him getting maybe that award should continue to climb up. And when you beat Seattle on the road divisional game uh there's no way that Brock Purdy I think comes in and lays an egg because of just how bad the Seahawks pass defense has been um they have names you have Jamal Adams who at this point in his career is an unhealthy glorified edge rusher you have Quandre Diggs who's been a really good safety for a really long time you have a dime back Julian Love who they've been playing at safety a lot this year um you had Devon Witherspoon, a rookie who has been overall pretty good. Uh, even Kyle Shanahan said that, you know, I wish we weren't playing him this week or I wish watching his tape we weren't playing them this week. So uh, giving a young player credit in Devon Witherspoon. But then you have who Seattle Seahawks fans were saying last year he was better than Sauce Gardner. And I think we're all saying this year as to why he's not as good as Sauce Gardner. Last year, Tariq Woolen had a good year. Um, I would say a really, really good year. One of the better years for a rookie cornerback in the entire league. And he was in the conversation for, wow, like, does he deserve a Pro Bowl? Not. He was that good last year. But almost every time we saw San Francisco play the Seattle Seahawks, we saw Kyle Shanahan line up Brandon Ayuk against Tariq Woolen and say, I dare you to stop him because Woolen and the way the Seahawks and Pete Carroll line him up is they play him back, hoping that he can not get beat over the top. He's a fast cornerback. He's not going to get beat over his head. But the hope is, is to keep the play in front of you and on hitch plays, on comebackers, um, on on uh, on dig routes. And the, go back and watch the playoff game last year. It was as if Brandon Ayuk was uncovered the entire time. And we've seen Ayuk beat better cornerbacks than Trevon Diggs. And, and this past week, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. I see no reason as to why Tariq Woolen is not going to be in the spin cycle over and over and over again. Juwan Jennings 
was beating Trick Woolen last year. And, and, and I do like uh, a Trick Woolen as a player, but the way Shanahan schemes up plays, the receivers he has, Brandon Ayuk being the best separator in football, um, you cannot play off him and you can't jam, you can't play press, you can't play man, you can't play zone. It just feels like there is no way to stop and slow down Brandon Ayuk. And when you have a young cornerback in Tariq Woolen, who fans wanted to prop up as the next great thing and you'll bring in the Legion of Boom style defense back to Seattle, it just hasn't been that. Um, he's been caught in between too many times. Um, he's very susceptible to play action where he's like, I'm going to bite here, and then all of a sudden, Juwan Jennings is down the seam for a 45-yard catch in the playoffs. It just feels as if that the Seahawks have names. They just don't have the production to match those names on paper. They're all good players, mind you. They can all do certain things extremely well, but they don't really have that player where you say, that's the lockdown cornerback. That's the star-studded safety. They have a good player team on paper but they don't get a lot of pressure they don't get a lot of sacks they don't really get takeaways and outside of one game you take it away this defense looks far far worse than they actually are because who is this defense shutting down they really have not done much against anybody this year and to expect them to beat what is now i believe the sixth best maybe seventh best offense ever ever, according to EPA, in Brock Purdy, McCaffrey, IU, Debo Kittle, the odds just are not in the favor of a Seattle defense who's only truly had one really good defensive game this year, and let's dive into that game, because the Seattle defense, all of their stats are completely skewed. They've had one really good game where they had three takeaways and 11 sacks against the New York Giants. Again, that's an amazing historical game, and you're just like, oh my goodness, the Giants are awful. Like, it's it's crazy. But if you take away that game, which, to be fair, is a little unfair, I just think they go from 14 total takeaways to, what is that, 11. That ranks tied for second worst in football. They go from a 31 sacks to 20 sacks right? That's, that's tied for 26th in sacks. They don't get takeaways. They don't get pressure. They can't cover very well. They're playing disjointed. And again, divisional game, see, the Seahawks are going to play. The Seahawks are going to come to play. Pete Carroll is going to be over there smacking his lips with the gummy nub. You're going to see his dumb block face when he looks like a comic book supervillain character. And you're like, God, I hate that guy because his team's always ready to go. But the Seahawks defense hasn't been good. The offense is just inconsistent. It just feels like everything is lining up in, in San Francisco's favor. Um, maybe Seattle comes to play for the first time since that Giants game. But the odds, they get 11 sacks and three takeaways just... It totally skews their defensive rating, which really, again, going back to that, they'd be ranked tied for second worst in football and takeaways and tied for 26th in sacks. And going even further down the rabbit hole here, they rank 29th in football on third downs 
with a 44% conversion rate. So you can get takeaways, you can get sacks, and you're on the field consistently for far too long. You cannot get off the field. And if you can't get off the field, opponents get into the red zone against you. And if you can get into the red zone against Seattle, they're 28th in red zone defense. They rank 65, or excuse me, a 65% touchdown rate. This team... To put it bluntly, their defense simply sucks. They suck. Uh, Val Brooks comments her prediction, 28-10 to 10 San Francisco. I like where your head's at, Val. Uh, I think we're, we're getting closer to what I think's going to happen on Thursday Night Football on Thanksgiving when we're all stuffed and gluttonized with turkey and potatoes and turduckins and green bean casserole and pumpkin loaf, hopefully, to go around for everybody. Uh, Bobo comments here. I was just listening to a Seahawks show, The Real Hawk Talk, and they said they hate classless Niner fans the most out of all fan bases. So much hate. I disagree because a lot of us have class. Aren't the Seahawks fans the one that openly cheered and threw things at Navarro Bowman on the cart when he tore his ACL? Aren't those the same fans? Um, if you're going to talk about classless, which, to be fair... I have plenty of Seattle Seahawks friends. I got my dog Stanley, who I love very much, from one of my friends in Washington who bought him a Seattle Seahawks dog jersey. Mind you, um, we don't wear that in my house, but plenty of nice, awesome Seattle Seahawks fans. Shout out to Olivia in Washington. That being said, um, you don't cheer for a player to get hurt. You don't throw things at a guy on the cart when he's sitting there with the torn ACL, which, mind you, uh... He recovered that fumble, refs. We don't forget here in San Francisco. But uh, to call Niner fans classless at a time when the Seahawks have been beaten three times in a row by them, and Eagles fans have also been cheering when Tao Funga's ACL was torn last week. So if you're going to point your hate at somebody, it should be your own fan base for cheering when players get hurt and the Eagles fans for doing the same thing this past week against the Niners. Um, to end here, it would be so wrong of me to not dive into just what Debo Samuel and George Kittle have done against the Seattle Seahawks since 2019, since the Niners have been healthy and elite, really, on offense. So, George Kittle, who's been on a freaking tear with Brock Purdy as his quarterback, what is it, 12 touchdowns? in like 24 games or 18 games, whatever it is with Brock Purdy now. But since 2019 against the Seattle Seahawks, George Kittle, 26 receptions, almost four per game, 544 receiving yards, 77 yards per game, and four touchdowns. And you're going to tell me that Bobby Wagner, who is old and much slower in pass coverage, good run defender still, just not who he once was in pass coverage. And Jordan Brooks, who is kind of a mini Bobby Wagner, great run defender, just can't pass, not great in pass coverage. George Kittle was going to have himself another field day. Kittle over the middle, 
We saw last year the hike to Purdy, the fake throw to his left. Kittle wide open over the seam. Uh, George Kittle is going to have himself another great day, I think. Uh, and coming off of two massive games, uh, two back-to-back games already against Jacksonville, the 69-yard t- touchdown catch, whatever it was. Then last week, the back of the end zone touchdown catch. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets one again over the Seattle Seahawks in this one. And then, of course, Debo Samuel seems to just come alive against the Seattle Seahawks and the Rams. 2019, the massive touchdown run, you know, where he spins around the guy and gets in the end zone and dances for a touchdown right. Uh, even last year when Trey Lance broke his ankle, what's Debo doing? Running for a massive touchdown, like Debo Samuel in the playoffs again last year, massive big touchdown. He seems to just want to crush the Seattle Seahawks and the LA Rams. In his career against the Seahawks, again, since 2019, Debo, 32 catches, 6-plus catches per game, 579 yards, almost 100 yards per game, and 5 touchdowns, 1 touchdown per game. If there is any defense other than the Rams, and dare I say even more so than the Rams, that Kyle Shanahan is going to get the ball into the hands of his star players, the Ayukes, the Kittles, the Debos, the McCaffreys, it is against the Seattle Seahawks, who I've proven the entire podcast this year, have been one of the worst pass coverage defenses in the entire league and one of the worst run defenses in the entire league. This is a game where San Francisco should be able to dominate up front on the defensive side of things, and if they can keep Purdy clean, whether it's Banks isn't playing or Burford isn't playing, and it's Feliciano and Barch, if they can keep that pocket clean for just 3-4 seconds, um, the Niners should have a great chance to win this game. We're talking end-arounds, screen passes, quick passes, um, and I do think you're going to see Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, McCaffrey just run wild. Run, you know, go how the WWE days, WWF days, they're running wild on him here at Monday Night Raw. I feel like that's going to happen, and we're going to see, you know, George Kittle eating pumpkin loaf, smashing beers, having a great time on Thanksgiving, and what I believe to be a, a 31... Yes, 31 to 16 point victory over the Seattle Seahawks. I think San Francisco was going to be eating turkey leg and get their revenge on the Seattle Seahawks for that 2013 Thanksgiving Day loss. This time in Seattle on the 50 yard line. How great would it be to see that post game interview with George Kittle with the mouthful of turkey leg? Brock Purdy out there doing the ice in the veins, just eating the turkey. It's going to be awesome. Richard Sherman, hopefully there in the stands, celebrating with his boys. Uh, Eric Armstead's been playing great. I just think Seahawks are running into a buzzsaw, and they're heading in the wrong direction. Uh, San Francisco's riding high, feeling good. I just feel that this game is going to be all San Francisco. I think it'll be close early, mind you. This game could very easily be 24 to 16, an eight-point game, and we're sitting there like, man, like, whew, like, it's getting kind of close, but why not a Jair Brown pick? Why not a Lenore interception? Why not a Fred Warner pick? He has three picks this year and three forced fumbles. Somebody on that defense is going to have a big game. I just feel like, again, everything is skewed 
towards San Francisco. I get it's a short week. Things are tough. Um, it just feels as if that this Niners team is going to have the edge in almost every single aspect. Um, let's get to some chats here. We got Val Brooks saying Seahawks fans, they're just butthurt. You're right, Val. They are just butthurt because they are not the Niners and they've lost three times in a row against us. And they know, Seahawks fans know, they're just not as good. They don't belong on the same field as us. Gotta come to play because the Seahawks are going to, but yes, they're just butthurt. Uh, the Smitty comments again, People are scared of the Niners. I love it. You should be scared. Other teams should be scared. It feels as if, if like, when San Francisco is healthy and they come to play, uh, they are the best team in the entire league. Now, gotta beat Seattle twice. Gotta beat Philadelphia twice. Or once, excuse me. Maybe twice later in the year. But they are a team where you look at it and you say, I watched the Eagles and the Chiefs play this past Monday. Neither one of those teams looked great. Dallas is playing pretty well, but they lost by 32 against this team. And the reality of it is if San Francisco can just continue to play their style of football, it's going to be extremely tough for anybody to beat them. Uh, Val Brooks comments again, uh, again, excuse me, Hawks fans are almost as bad as Cowboy fans. They're getting there. Uh, I would say the aren't as cocky. Uh, the 12th man nickname is... Fine, I get it. You want to have your own jersey retired for your fans. That's cool, but like, at least they aren't holding on to, well, back in 1992, you know, 45 years ago, we're America's team. Like, no, no one cares, Dallas. You have to win in this century. You have to win in this decade. And you just haven't done it yet. Uh, Bobo comments again. Uh, Seahawks squandered a great team 10 years, or for 10 years. Uh, they should have been a dynasty with the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson epic fail. I would agree. Almost had two rings and egos got in the way. Um, just, just just sucks for Seattle, but I'm not complaining. I'm sitting here saying, thank God I don't have to listen to. We have two or three or four or five rings, and it's only one. And I can point to saying, why didn't you just give it to Marshawn at the one-yard line? <laughs> it's not that difficult. It's going to haunt them forever. And that one play ended their entire chance at a dynasty. Uh, Bobo comments again, a projected Niner stadium takeover by the fans. The faithful are great. They're awesome. Traveling on Thanksgiving Day to Seattle to overtake that stadium would be one of the greatest feats in Niner fans' history. We already own Levi's. We already own SoFi South. We're already on the Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium and the Panthers Stadium. Why not start to begin our ownership of Seattle? Lumen Field, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, Rick Diaz says, good morning, good afternoon. This game is going to be a good game. I, I agree, Rick. I think it's going to be one of those battles where it's 24-16 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, and we're going to be sitting there biting our nails, biting our turkey legs, saying, can someone make a play? And I think San Francisco comes out on top with a 31-16 win over the Seahawks. Uh, again, Rick says, Anything can happen tomorrow night. Go Niners, my friend. You're right, Rick. Anything can happen. That's why San Francisco has to come to play. Uh, Bobo, once again, Gino will be running for his life every play. No offense to Jason Peters. If you're playing a 41-year-old right tackle against Chase Young and Nick Bosa, 
the odds are not in your favor. Not to be ageist by any means. I have older parents, older siblings. Um, I would like to assume that you give a 27-year-old, 26-year-old premier athlete uh, in the greatest shape of their life against a 41-year-old broken-down right tackle, uh, it's not going to go in your favor. <laughs> it's not going to go in your favor. Uh, Rick Diaz says that he's anxious. Um, he agrees with what I'm saying, but all these games have to be won by the Niners. I would agree, Rick. Um, you got to come in, take care of business. No game is handed to you. You have to earn it. And I think San Francisco got their wake-up call when they lost three games in a row. I would expect the same to happen um, this Thursday, Thanksgiving night, mouthful of pie, face full of pumpkin loaf, hopefully yelling, go Niners, and Niners win. Um, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Rick says we swept the Hawks last year. Yes, we did, Rick. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see what we got in the chat. Who are the Eagles? Nobody knows who the Chiefs are either. Uh, the NFC is kind of a toss-up. The AFC is kind of a crapshoot. Um, it just feels as if that these... The playoffs are going to be just one of the weirdest ones, I think, ever. Because the Bills are inconsistent. The Chiefs are awful in the second half. The Eagles... I believe give up 284 passing yards per game. So if there is a defense Brock Purdy can pass against, it might be the Eagles. Um, it just feels as if every team has had their little spurt of inconsistency, whether they won or not. There are just areas where every team can kind of be exposed so far. And while San Francisco had their three game stretch of poor play, really, it does feel as if San Francisco is tightening things up. Hufunga's injury certainly hurts when it comes to getting takeaways, but um, it does feel like they have less holes than other teams when they're healthy, uh, when they're playing their best football. But you have to hope San Francisco can play their best football when it matters most. You have to beat Seattle at least twice. You can lose to Philadelphia. I hate saying that. But if you beat Seattle twice, you essentially have clinched the NFC West, really, you really have. Um, it's weird to say that early, but if you beat Seattle twice, um, it just feels like you have already wrapped up the NFC West and have pushed Seattle so far down in the rankings that they aren't going to have uh, the opportunity to come back and beat you. <clears throat> uh, Randy Daytona says, what's up? What's going on, Randy? He thinks CMC and Mitchell are going to dictate the pace. Um... I would agree that San Francisco is going to be able to run the football at an amazing rate against this Seahawks 19th ranked run defense that's given up an average of 149 yards per game the past three weeks. There should be a chance where the Niners just play the Shanahan way, run the football, play action, get guys in space, and just do what they do best and get Debo and Kittle and those guys the ball, and just let them say, go to work, boys, have fun. Um, Bobo asks, do you think if Pete Carroll gets swept again by us, he will get fired? Uh, no. Um, I think what Pete Carroll was able to do and getting Geno Smith in there, already having won a ring, uh, been to two Super Bowls, um, I just think that he, is, he has so much good grace, the culture there is so good, that you're going to have to pry him away from football. Uh, and even if he gets fired by Seattle, he will find 
another place to go coach, whether it's USC again or another NFL team, he will find a place to go coach. He just loves football too much. And I think right now he has defined an entire era in Seattle where if you fire him, kind of like Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, you're asking for an entire fan base to just throw their hands up and say, I'm done. Um, he would have a second job in a second. Um, but no, I, I do not think if we beat the Seahawks twice or three times again this year, he will get fired by all. Um, Randy Daytona says the cornerbacks in Seattle are too good. Well, on paper, which I already said this earlier, Randy, maybe you weren't here for that. But yes, you're right. On paper, they're good. Woolen, Weatherspoon, Love, Diggs, Adams, a good secondary on paper. Then you realize they have the 21st ranked pass defense, uh, 26th ranked pass defense at home. They aren't as good as the name value might say they are. Hence why I think 31 to 16, Purdy has a good day. Um, I think CMC has a great day again. It just feels like this feels like another dominating game for San Francisco. Uh, I don't think they liked how they finished against the Bucks. And I think on a short week, they want to go out there and right the wrongs, which there weren't many uh, that the defense had. And I think for the offense, it's just be you. you have, this this Seattle defense is going to let you play the way you want to play football. Um, they're really not great um, in really any aspect of the defense, whether it's pass defense, run defense. This can be a game where Shanahan dials up, if he wants to, 40 passing plays. If he wants to, 40 running plays. And he should have success against the Seahawks defense. Um, all right, guys. Thank you for joining. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for all the comments in the chat. I want to ask you kindly, if you're on YouTube, to leave a like. Comment down below what you're doing on Thanksgiving, how you are celebrating this game, whether with your family, in your favorite jersey, with a handful of pumpkin loaf to help George Kittle get some points on the board for us Niner fans. Uh, let me know down below what you're doing on Thanksgiving again. want to say thank you for watching listening, uh, commenting in the comments, obviously in the chat. Uh, it's a big help. Um, hope you'll have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Eat the turkey, uh, go into one of the seven deadly sins and just perform gluttony all over that dinner table tomorrow night with the pie and the potatoes and do what you like to do best on a wonderful holiday to celebrate family and give thanks for what we have. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I'm thankful for. I'm thankful the San Francisco 49ers are seven and three. And if they can win tomorrow night on their way to an eight and three record with the Seahawks and the Eagles in their sights, um, a lot of work to do, a lot of ground to gain. But I want to ask you one more thing before we go. If you're listening on audio platforms, give us a like, give us a review, give us five stars. Do not care what you put in the comments. Give us five stars. It certainly helps. If you want to go to a game this year, use our promo code 49ersaccess49 E-R-S-A-C-C-E-S-S -S, and save yourself $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. Baseball, basketball, football, concerts, doesn't matter. Use that promo code and save yourself some money. 
Follow us on social media. 49ers underscore access is the Twitter or the X. And then 49ers.access is the Instagram. Over 21,000 followers on those combined. Let's keep those numbers up and let's build the community here. Um, still people commenting in the chats. Thank you so much. Uh, some of you watching the game alone. People are in a wide. Things are too expensive. I get that. I hope the Niners can bring you some comfort on your Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I'll be with my family. And afterwards, if you want to, go on 95.7 The Game if you're in the Bay or use the Odyssey app and listen to myself and Mark Grandy react to the Niners' hopeful victory over the Seattle Seahawks on Thanksgiving night, again on 95-7th game, right when that clock hit zero on the game. Click over and we'll have you there for two to three hours reacting to it live on the radio. My name is Sterling Bennett saying thank you for watching, thank you for listening, and until next time, have a happy Thanksgiving. Get some gluttony in you and stay faithful.